ask you this morning to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And we are going to look primarily at verses 12 through 14. Exodus 33, 12 through 14. That's going to be the center of our text. I want to start out... uh, by stating I'm going to speak on something that's very personal to me, something that is probably the primary driving factor in my life. I know that a lot of times in my preaching I mention it quite often. Uh, I realize that maybe perhaps some of you may go, oh boy, there he goes again, beating down the same drum. But it is impressed upon my heart because I think it is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And that basic premise that we're going to see in our text today is basically desiring more of God. To come to that place in our spiritual walk where we desire more, more, more of God more of the person of God, more of the power of God, and more of the presence of God. I think that is very, very central to the believer's life. And that believers would come to a place that it would be the greatest pursuit. There's a lot of things that we tend to do in the church. There's a lot of things that we tend to get caught up with in the church. It's very easy to get caught up with doing It's very easy to be caught up in forms of worship. It's very, very easy to be caught up into theology, into knowing about God. But nothing is more important. All those things serve so that the believer would be a person that truly does know God. K-N-O-W. That we would know God. For the believer in Christ, this is paramount. This is, knowing God is the apex. It's the height of your Christian life. Psalm 16, uh, 11 says this, "Thou Thou will make known to me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of joy, and in thy right hand are pleasures forever. The scripture teaches that it is in the presence of God where we find fullness of joy. The joy that we so desperately uh, seek in this life, the joy that we seek doing so many other things and so many other pursuits is found where? In the presence of God. In the presence of of God. Robert Murray McShane made this great statement. He says, a believer longs after God to come into his presence, to feel his love, to feel near to him in secret, to feel in the crowd that he is nearer than all creatures. Ah, dear brethren, have you ever tasted this blessedness? There is a, <clears throat> there is a greater rest and solace to be found in the presence of God for one hour than an eternity 
in the presence of men. Today we're going to look at one of God's greatest servants, Moses. And we're going to see how Moses not only sought God and sought after God, but Moses sought for more of God. He wanted to be filled with all of the fullness and all of the glory of God. So my goal for today is that the Holy Spirit would convict each heart. He would convict each heart today to draw us into the delight of knowing God in that we should not settle. And this is really key. You've, you've heard me say this time and time again that my heart's desire is that the church would indeed be the church. It would be exactly what God desired for the church. That we would not settle for stale. We would not settle for limited knowledge about God. But we would desire his presence and we would desire the fullness of God in our lives. To know more of his presence, to know more of his person, and to avail ourselves more to God and to be filled with that presence in our life. Look at the text for today that we'll be using. Exodus 33, verses 12 through 14. Then Moses said to the Lord, See thou dost say to me, Bring up this people, but thou thyself hast hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moreover thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I may find favor in thy sight. Consider too that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses was a man hungry for the presence of God. If you go over to Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 and 8, it speaks about this. In verse 7, then the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, go down at once for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves And they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, that my anger may burn against them that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. You know the story. Moses went up up to Sinai to receive the law of God. The children of Israel remained below. Moses was gone for some period of time. They saw the lightning. They saw the quakes on the mountain. They began to think, hey, maybe he didn't make it. Maybe he didn't didn't, uh, survive. So what happens? Everybody's created to worship something. What do the people do? We need a God. 
And they go to Aaron and they say, make us a god. And they form this pagan image in the, in the, in the image of a bull. And they offer up sacrifices to this god. And the rest of the text says, they rose up to play. And that term, they rose up to play, involves sexual immorality, that they were uh, having sexual sacrifices and performing all kinds of fornication. The people had sinned greatly against God. And we saw here in 32 that he goes to him. He says, your people have sinned. These people are an obstinate people. These people now, now go away. I'm going to destroy this people. And Moses, known as the great intercessor, pleads with God. And Moses erects in the camp, what is called the tent of meeting. And it's in the camp where Moses would go to be alone with God, to pray on behalf of the people, to petition the Lord. Moses wasn't settling. Moses was going back. And Moses even says, Lord, forgive these people. If you have to blot anyone out, blot me out of thy book. Look at the heart that he has. And so he goes and he builds this tent. We see in uh, chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. I want to call your attention to something. To become a great man of God, a great woman of God, one of the first things you have to do is you have to get alone with God. Notice where the tent was. It wasn't in the center of the camp. It was way out of the camp. The tent was way out of the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. It wasn't that there were going to be meetings every single night in it. It was the tent of meeting because it was the place that you went to meet God. And it was a journey. You had to go. Look at verse 8 of chapter 33. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And it came about whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. One of the first things, if you want to be filled more with the presence of God, if you want to come to the place where you know God, where you know his presence, where you know his power, where you know his person, one of the first things you need to do is you need to get alone with God. You need to get alone with God. And the question that I have for all of us today is, where is your tent of meeting? Where is the place where you go to get alone with God? Listen, you could be married and you say, well, I do it with my wife. But every man, every husband, every wife, despite coming together, also needs to get alone with God individually. 
to find his presence, to know his presence, to be truly confessional, to be truly repentant, to be truly and earnestly seeking the Lord alone with intimacy. Listen, the greatest thing that could be said about a believer is that person knows their God. There are a lot of people that go around, they can say that person knows their Bible. That person has all the scripture memorized. But the greatest thing that could be said about the believer is, do you know God? And we need to be a people that know our God and are known by our God. Moses would do this. He'd take the walk. And you notice something about that passage? He would take the walk, and what would happen? The people would notice There goes Moses, and they would stand outside their tent, and Moses would enter the tent of meeting. The pillar of cloud would come. The glory of God would descend in the front of the tent. But notice, it descended where Moses was. The Scripture says everybody stood at the front of their tent. They were looking. There goes Moses. He's going up to meet God. He's going up to meet God. You know something, when you have a prayer life, when you are active in desiring the presence of God, when you have a a prayer life that is honest and transparent before God, do you know that a lot of people are going to say, there goes so-and-so, I bet she's praying, I bet he's praying. And we want to be that people, not that we wouldn't want to be the people, not that people would say that about us. But how great would it be that every time we shared the Lord Jesus Christ, every time we did a Bible study, every time we ministered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that what came was authenticity, authority, and power that comes by the Holy Spirit. And nothing less. That pillar of cloud was evidence that God was present and that God was meeting with Moses. So often I pray, Father, I pray that you would show up. God, show up! I diligently, diligently pray for that genuine, authentic, spontaneous move of God for that genuine, spontaneous move of the Holy Spirit. And time and time again, I beseech the Lord, show up, Lord. Show up. We want you to show up. I pray this morning, Father, show up. and Be real. And be genuine. You've heard me say this many times. Many people will go to hell with a a head full of knowledge about God. If our lives are ever going to be a reflection of the glory of God, and we need to do as Moses did. We need to find time where we, we go and we get alone with God. A few years ago, I don't know how long ago, but a few years ago, a movie was popularized about a woman who had a prayer closet. She had all these post-its up there and all these prayer requests. Effectively, that prayer closet was her tent of meeting. Let me tell you, you don't have to have a closet, but you have to have a place. 
And you have to have a place that you're going to place yourself and you're going to commit yourself and you're going to stay in that place and you're going to press in and you're going to say, God, I'm not leaving until you bless me. Listen, intimacy with God is always achieved in solitary places. It's always achieved in solitary places, in solitary moments alone with God. If we're ever going to seek personal revival, if we're ever desirous to see the Spirit of God move in our lives and through our lives for the glory of God, if we ever want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, then we must do as Moses did. Seek God alone. Moses not only sought God alone, but Moses desired more of God. Look at verse 12 of chapter 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, Thou dost say to me, Bring up this people. But thou thyself hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moreover, thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Here Moses reiterates to the Lord what the Lord had already told him. The Lord had told Moses to deliver the children of Israel. And by the way, he did that at 80 years old. How do you like that? There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no social security in the kingdom of God. God can use an 80-year-old like God can use a 20-year-old. I think of Caleb, right, when, when the children of Israel were ready to go into the promised land. And Caleb went to Joshua and he said, listen, you better give me this mountain. God promised me this mountain. You give me this mountain. I'm 80 years old and I can fight just as strong as if I were 40 years old. There's no retirement. Those that are senior citizens, there's no retirement. You keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing until the great day of your great reward. But the Lord had called Moses to deliver the children of Israel and to bring them into the promised land. Hey, Moses knew it. The children of Israel knew it. God knew it. The Lord told Moses because of the sin of the people when he was up on the mountain and they rose to sin, God was so angry he told Moses, you don't have to turn there in 32 verses 2 and 3. I'm done. I'm not going with you any further. Instead, I'm going to give you the promised land. But an angel's going to take you. My presence shall not go with you any longer. And notice, Moses desired more of God. Now many of us, if the, if the Spirit of the Lord said, hey, the Spirit of God's not going to go with you, but we're going to send an angel with you. Most of us would probably go, amen, send the angel, right? What, I could do anything with the angel, but not Moses. Moses said, no, Lord, no. He wanted more, and alone with God, he beseeched God for that more. 
It was in those alone meetings that Moses came to know God in a deep, personal, and intimate way. It was in that solitary meeting that Moses found the boldness with God. In verse 12 of chapter 33, Moses reminds God that it was God who said that Moses found favor in his sight. God said to Moses, you have found favor in my sight. Here's an interesting word because the favor of the Lord can best be defined as demonstrated delight. Oh, man, would you love God to say that about you? That you have found favor in the eyes of God. You have found that demonstrated delight. It's tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord. Look what he says of Moses. You have the favor of God. You have the approval of God. And it is here alone with God that Moses makes his request for more. Look at verse 13. This is Moses speaking. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I may find favor in thy sight. And consider too that this nation is thy people. Oh, I love this. Moses says three things. Three things that he specifically asked for. Look at verse 33. The first thing he asks for is what? Let me know thy ways. The second thing he asks for is, let me know thee. And the third thing he asks for, that I might find favor in thy sight. Let's look at the first one. Let me know thy ways. We're talking about knowing more by desiring more of God, of being more personal with God. And the first step in desiring more of God is to come to the place where you desire to know the ways of the Lord. You desire to know the ways of the Lord. What is pleasing to the Lord? What does the Lord require of you? How do you honor the Lord, worship the Lord, and bring glory to the Lord? Psalm 86, 11 says this. It's beautiful, beautiful verse. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Knowing God is knowing his ways and what is pleasing to him. And we must come to that place where we know the person of God and we find this truth in his word. Listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer. Unless we get to know what God is like, unless we know God, we will accept all the superficial nonsense that passes for Christianity today. And listen to these last sentence. Our perception of God determines our perception of worship. There is a lot of superficial knowledge that is passing for the knowledge of God today. 
Hey, it was our Lord Jesus Christ that stated very clearly that we are to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks to worship him, he told the Samaritan woman. Alone with God, alone with his word, alone in the spirit of truth is where we come to know the ways of God. How blessed are we in this day and age to come that we have come to a place where we have recorded for us the written word of God. Please, do not neglect the word of God. Don't say, I read the word of God. I want you to study the word of God. I want you to contemplate the word of God. I want you to meditate the word of God. I want that you hide the word in thy heart that you may not sin against thee. We got to get to the place alone with God where we search the word in quiet thought, in quiet meditation and contemplation. Come to know the ways of God. Look at the second thing that Moses asked, and this is critical. First he asked, let me know thy ways. The second thing he asked, that I may know thee. Man, if you don't have that underlined, please underline it in your Bible. That I may know thee. In coming to know the ways of the Lord, we come to discover his character, his attributes, and in discovering these truths leads us to know God and his presence. Listen, the great theologian J.I. Packard, in his famous book, Knowing God, makes some really great points about the person who knows God. Actually, he points out four characteristics of people who know God. And I want to share them with you. Characteristic number one, those who know God have great energy for God. People who know God do not grow weary of serving God, of seeking God, of beseeching God. They're not bored with God. They do not make excuses in an attempt not to be consumed with God, meaning they don't make excuses why they can't do this, that, or the other thing. They're driven for God. They have great energy for God. Those who know their God are consumed with God. Last year, Mike and I were at a conference in Greenville, South Carolina, and Todd Friel, I don't know if you know Todd Friel from Wretched Radio, Todd Friel came up to Mike and I, we were just sitting outside, and Todd Friel said, what do you think is one of the biggest problems facing the church today? And I said... One of the biggest problems is that most people are bored with God. They're bored with the Word of God. They're bored with the worship of God. And so subsequently being bored, they find other superficial ways to stimulate their emotion. But the one who knows their God has great energy for God. Why? Because they're meeting alone with God. They're praying with God. The Spirit of God is moving in their lives. In Psalm 69, 9, 
The Lord Jesus actually quoted this verse. For zeal for thy house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach thee have now fallen on me. Listen, Moses was consumed with God, going multiple times during the day to the tent of meeting, interceding for the children of God, beseeching God as we have seen for his presence, for the knowledge of his ways and the knowledge of him. Staying in the tent for hours on end. In the presence of God, Moses was judging on behalf of the people, zealous for the glory of God. Hey, those who know their God have great energy for God. Listen, one of the ways that this great energy is reflected, it is reflected in prayer. How much time do you spend in prayer? It's reflected because prayer does not become tiresome. It does not become laborious. It does not become boring. It does not become monotonous. Rather, prayer is energetic. It's stimulating. And it's excited. It is viewed as the opportunity to meet God and come into his presence. Let me ask a question. When you get alone with God, are you excited And do you have the anticipation that you're coming to meet God, the living God, the holy God, the righteous God, the God who spoke the worlds into all creation, the God that knows everything there is to know about you, the God who sits on the throne, the God that is sovereign? Or is prayer some kind of ho-hum, boring religious duty That has to be done. This energy is reflected in the expectation that God is going to hear those prayers. And God will work. And what will God work? God will work all things for good for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. This great energy for God is reflected in service for God. It is reflected in working with a purpose. Listen, despite setbacks, despite opposition, it is reflected in in those that are knocked down but get back up again. It is reflected in loving others and forgiving others as Christ has loved us and has forgiven us. It is the work of knowing that what you are doing has eternal value, not temporary earthly value. The labor that you do has eternal value. How many times have you heard me say, I don't want to stand before the Lord with empty pockets. And although I may not see the results, I may not see some of the the fruit of the labor on this earth, I can still labor zealously knowing that what I do has eternal value. What about you? How do you labor for the Lord? 
Do you get tired? Does it become cold or stale or informal? Well, then maybe you need to get alone with God. Maybe you need to go into that tent of meeting. And maybe you need to come before the Lord and say, Father, I want more of you. I want more of you. So we see the first thing. Those who know their God have great energy for God. Here's the second characteristic. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Listen to this. Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and he wanted to see God glorified among the children of Israel. Listen to the words of Moses in verse 16 of chapter 13. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in thy sight and thy people? Is it not by thy going with us so that we, I and thy people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. What a great statement. Moses uses God's words and then brings them back to God. God said, Moses, you have found favor in my sight. Moses goes, okay, Lord, if I have found favor in thy sight, then how will this, how will we be distinguished from all the other people on the earth? Is it not by you going before us? And the same is true of the believer today. Hey, if we are the sanctified, if we are the saved, if we are the redeemed, if believers are truly those, as John said, that for as many as believed on his name, to them gave he the right to be called children of God, That's not merely for personal purposes. That is so that we would be distinguished from the rest of the world. That the world would say, there goes a believer. That person is a believer. And let me tell you something. They're all not going to say, well, that person's a Christian. Yay! It's going to be more than likely the opposite. There goes a Christian. Boo, hoo, hiss, you know, fuddy-duddy, whatever they're going to say. But is not salvation the evidence of the glory of God in a person? Is not everything that God does designed to bring him glory? So that when God saves a man and a woman, and everybody used to say, I used to remember that guy. We used to do this together. We used to party together. We used to do all these other different things. What in the world happened to him? And that person is able to go out and say, let me tell you what God has done in my life. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Let me tell you how I was. I used to walk this way. Now I'm walking this way. Let me tell you about the glory of God. God is glorified. Listen, God is even glorified when they may at times mock. God is glorified when they may say, you're an idiot. How could you believe that stuff? You're crazy. But the truth of the matter is those rebuttals come because of the changes that are evident when a man or a woman gets saved. Those who know their God have great thoughts of God. Listen to Moses. Moses took it further. He went a step further. Moses desired more, as we've been saying from the beginning. In verse 18, 
after Moses lays out his case, Moses comes with the big request. And the big request is this. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. Oh God, I pray thee, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me in all of its fullness, in all of its glory, Lord. Reveal thyself to me. Moses wanted more. So much more of God, more of his presence. And as such, he entertained great thoughts. And what was that great thought? Father, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. What are our thoughts of God? Do we desire the glory of God? Oh, I pray that we do. I pray that when we're alone with God, you know, it's very easy in, 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 in the Christian culture to get caught up with doing and equating doing with everything's okay. Now, I'm not telling you it's not important to serve. That's not what I'm saying. But God has more. Moses was doing, was he not? Did he not go against the most powerful empire at the time, single-handedly, with the power of God and defeat it? Did he take on the strongest person in the world at that time and defeat him? He did that in the power and the strength of God. He couldn't have done that in his humanness or his human wisdom. But yet Moses came back and he said, I want more, Father. I want so much more. Show me thy glory. Listen. Ask God for more. The scripture says you have not because you ask not. James says, and when you come before God for that request, don't come doubting, don't come waffling, don't come torn between two decisions because if you do, you're like someone being tossed about in the waves going back and forth. But do you believe that God wants more for you as a believer? I believe it. I have no problem with it. I believe it. I press in. I'm moving in. I'm asking God for more. Have I gotten everything that I've asked for? No, but it doesn't stop me. I keep coming back and I keep coming back and I keep coming back to the well. We need to ask God for more, not more stuff, more of Him, more of the Spirit, more of His wisdom. More of his ways. Oh, the church, that we would be people of God, that in our tent of meeting, as we're alone with God, as we, as, we, as we cry out to God, desiring more, that we will believe God that he does indeed have more. Look at the third characteristic. Those who know God show great boldness for God. Listen, knowing God brings about a boldness for God. But it was because Moses knew God. Where did he know him? He knew him in the tent of meeting. And he was able to bring his request to God with 
boldness. Is that not the most bold statement he can make? Show me thy glory. Moses had a request before God. Father, forgive the people of their sin. He asked that the Spirit of God, he asked that the person of God, not an angel of God, but that God Himself would lead them through the promised land. He was even so bold to say, Lord, if you're not going to leave us, uh, lead us, then leave us where we are. Don't take us another step further. Leave us where we are. And that if he wasn't going to forgive the people, then Lord, blot my name out of the book. You believe that? The Apostle Paul echoed something similar to that in the book of Romans. When the Apostle Paul said, I wish I would be accursed. What that word means to be damned. I wish I would be accursed if it meant the salvation of my countrymen, Israel. Moses, on top of all those requests, Ask God for a revelation of himself. And we know that it is from Scripture. We know from Scripture that Moses was a bold leader. And that boldness came directly from his relationship with God. Remember before his relationship with God? Remember when God revealed himself? Hey, Moses, take the people. What are you talking about, Lord? Why are you asking me? Moses, you're the one I've called. Go ahead, go to Pharaoh. Tell him to release my people. Lord, you you definitely got this wrong. You may want to consider Aaron. He's a better speaker than me. I stammer, I stutter. I'm not eloquent, Lord. I'm going to go to Pharaoh. What he's going to go, who are you? What are you going to do? Remember all the excuses that Moses wrote in his encounter with God? But since his encounter with God, Moses has great boldness for the things of God. Those who know God have boldness, and that boldness does not come from themselves. It comes from spending time alone with God. We saw that in Acts chapter 4, didn't we? When Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin for healing the man at the temple gate. And Peter gets up to preach, and what does he do? He preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gets right in the face of the Sanhedrin, and he talks to them and he says, hey, let it be known that this Jesus, he is God, and there is no one else who could do this. It is the one who you crucified. And you remember Acts 14, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It basically says, having recognized them as being with Jesus. They, and the beginning is, having seen that they were uneducated, untrained men. They recognized them as being with Jesus and they marveled. They were astonished. That could be some of us. Having spent time with Jesus, that could be some of us. We may not have the pedigree. We may not have the diplomas on the wall. We may not have the letters following our name. But if we walk with Christ, if we spend time with Christ, we can open our mouths. And you know what? People will marvel 
That man, that woman, walks with Christ. So we see that those who know God have great boldness for God. Lastly, the fourth characteristic, those who know God have great contentment for God. Listen, this is an area where many who profess Christ struggle to find contentment in this life. That contentment is a peace that comes, listen, there is a peace that comes from knowing God. And the greatest peace that a believer can possess is the knowledge that all is well. All is well in the Lord. Paul speaks of this peace in Romans 5, verse 1, when he states, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're not warring against God. The enmity, the strife that we had as unbelievers, now having been justified by faith, we now have that peace with God. The peace is the assurance that God is in control and that the all-knowing God knows my circumstances and despite how horrific things may appear to be, that God has me because I am known to him, and I am loved by him. You guys know Romans is hands down my favorite book in the Bible. I think I've said that once before. But Paul knew of that peace, and he speaks of it often in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8 1, Paul speaks of the peace of knowing that there is no more any condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8.26, he speaks of the peace of a proactive and interactive God. In Romans 8.28 is the peace of a sovereign God who always does what is best for his children. In Romans 8.31, it is the peace of a powerful God of creation who favors us. In Romans 8.35, it is the peace of knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8.37, it is the peace of God through Jesus Christ that has conquered and made us conquerors of all things. In Romans 8.39, it is the peace of knowing that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. This was the peace of Listen, this was the peace and contentment of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were guilty that they would not bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar in his haughtiness told them, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And then in his arrogance he said, and what God is there that shall deliver you? Listen to the words of those boys found in Daniel 3, 18. Notice what they say. But even if he does not, meaning God, God does not deliver them. Let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image 
that you have set up. Listen, there was no panic. There was no nervousness. They were at peace with God. And they knew that the power of life and death is up to God and God alone. So that their faith and their confidence was in a holy and a righteous God. They knew God. And they knew that God knew them. And would do what is best for his glory. Many people are very defeated these days. Many are looking for peace and contentment in the world and what the world has to offer. Many look for justice in the world. There's a lot of chagrin, right? Because we live in an unjust world. We're not going to find that justice. The world has nothing to offer the believer. Only God can satisfy that deep longing for the soul. Only God can satisfy that. Many work harder at the world's pursuits than the pursuit of knowing God. But what if we as believers took that effort and applied it to the pursuit of knowing God and desiring more from God? More from God. What would that do to our contentment and our satisfaction in Christ? So what what does this mean to me? I started this message with a very simple premise regarding the history of Moses' life. I stated that Moses' heart was to know more of God and his presence. And I showed three desires of Moses in verse 33, 13. I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I might find favor in thy sight. You know, the scripture tells us that God used to speak to Moses like a man speaketh to his friend. Man, how awesome that is. We have been challenged to pursue God similarly, to have our our own tent of meeting. Now, I submit it to you that if you want more of God, If you want to know God personally, if you're not satisfied about knowing about God, but to intimately pursue, seek, and come after God, we reviewed those four characteristics, right? Those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great thoughts about God. Those who know God show great boldness for God. And those who know God have great contentment in God. Last night we had the memorial funeral services for Jessica Gonzalez's brother. And I was able to listen and hear great stories and great testimonies about this person. And as I was leaving last night, I said to Jessica and Lewis, I said, man, your brother sounded like such an extraordinary man. I wish I had the opportunity to meet him. And Jessica said to me, I wish you had the opportunity to know him. Now, after spending an hour listening to the testimonies and 
hearing the things that were said about this person, could I safely say that I knew her brother? No. I knew about her brother. I heard stories about her brother. There were examples given about her brother. But that didn't enable me to say I knew him. Likewise, many hear the stories about Christ. Many people hear the stories about God. Many people can quote some of the accounts of God. But that does not qualify a person to say, I know God. The desire of my heart, listen, the desire of God's heart is that we would know Him. In Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24, you don't have to turn there. Many, many years ago, I made this my life's verse. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, not let, a wise, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he knows and understands me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and righteousness upon the earth. For I delight in these things, saith the Lord. What is God's will? That we would know him. That we would not merely know about him, but experientially Come to know God in His fullness. Come to know God in His presence. Come to know the transcendent and living God. I'm going to close with this quote from this great hymn. I was a young man. I used to be a soloist in a church. And this song I always used to sing. It's a hymn called Satisfied. I don't know if many of you know it. But the first stanza of this hymn says this. All my life long, I have panted for a draught from some cool spring that I hope would quench the burning of my soul I felt within. The chorus goes on to say, Oh, hallelujah. I have found him who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. And through his blood, I now am saved. Have you found him whom your soul has long craved? All those achings in your heart, all of those things you pursue by, by other pleasures. Man, if you put that effort into God, if you put that effort into Christ, if you put that effort into getting alone with God and you make that bold request and you say, Father, I want to know you, Father. Show me thy glory. 
God will do. And if you don't get it when you first ask, you keep asking. With faith. That's my prayer for the church. My prayer for the church is that we would be a people who know their God and are known by their God. Desire more. Ask for more. Ask to go deep in Christ. God will reward you with those things. You know the psalm that says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So many times that is misused to say, oh, just ask the Lord for whatever you need materialistically and God's going to give it to you. Don't buy it. Delight thyselves in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. You know, if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, do you know what that desire is? It's the Lord. Delight thyselves in the Lord. He will give you the desire of your heart. The desire is him. Oh, church, that we would delight ourselves in the Lord and that we would be rewarded with the presence of God himself. Let's go to Lord in prayer.